Lovely to see you, Mary. Lovely um, to see you too, darling. Good morning, everybody. Jeffrey's back. It's <laughs> and lovely I'm to happy. be back except for the temperature. <laughs> oh, yeah, minus two this morning, darling, and minus three it was yesterday. Yeah, okay. I didn't actually hear what the legitimate temperature was this morning, but cold. it was frosty when I walked out the door at 8.30, so... Yeah, I think we just say cold. So stay in bed and listen to the radio, gang. Yeah, if you've got the chance to stay in bed, have a cuppa and yeah. um, listen to Marin and I talk uh, about... Rabbit all things drugs. Yeah. And... Drug war, more so did importantly. did the drug war end in my absence, Marin? Pardon, darling? Did the drug war end in my absence? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> we managed to shut it down full stop. <laughs> uh, would have been nice, wouldn't it? No, sweetheart, but I tell you what, it's changing in various places. The United States, a couple of places have set up uh, safe injecting sites. Nice. So one in New York City and a couple in uh, Tenderloin District of San Francisco. Excellent. So really good. Um that doesn't mean that everything else is going all hunky-dory. Remember the uh, Russian, the US uh, basketball player in Russia? Uh, Brittany Griner. She got arrested and is being charged. Now, she had uh, cannabinoid product, and it doesn't say whether it was actually marijuana or cannabinoid oil well, for yeah. therapeutic purposes, but yep. I suspect it was. A cannabinoid oil, right? So used for, for um, I don't know, chronic pain or something. But she's been charged, and I don't know if she's been sentenced yet. She pled, she's pled been, guilty. She pled guilty, yeah. yeah, which was a legitimate thing to do if you're going to stand up and say, you know, if you, yeah. if you've got it, yeah. and it's legal where you come from. The problem is, she's, and this is what listeners should always remember: you have to look out wherever you go. The countries you go to may not have the same rules and regulations or laws that we have. So you've always got to check out when you go to ask for a visa, you say, what are the laws like? Am I? Are you allowed to take codeine-based tablets into that country? I know in Greece when I went there, not allowed to have them unless I had a letter saying from my doctor saying that that was what they were there for. Well, even here now, codeine is prescription. Well, so. absolutely. And how quickly can that change? Absolutely. Yeah? Well, I it think used to be okay and suddenly now it's not. So, yeah. Generally speaking, things are tightening up. And yeah. So we've got some places where things have changed. Colombia, a bit of change. We've got a left-wing government there. First left president ever. First left-wing president mm. ever. And uh, the guy that's over there, what's his name? The incoming, was it? Puerto or in last like week. Yeah. Anyway, was... but they're going to do something about uh, the farmers who've been forced into growing crops, either economically or physically, growing coca crops. They're going to do something about their coca um, uh, production and either legitimising it or something. We did do a couple of stories on yeah, it. Excellent. So yeah, there's been some interesting. Developments, I wouldn't say changes, but developments over the last few weeks. We just, but it's not the end of the drug war, sweetheart. No. Look, some good positive stuff happening. Look, I'll take any positive Change of government step. locally, yeah, federally. Absolutely. I declared a public holiday should two have, weeks ago. Should for never me. look that. Yeah. <laughs> now, that was um, quite, quite an outstanding night. Absolutely. All right, welcome listeners, both uh, regular and new to today's edition of News from the Drug War Front, brought to you by Karma, the Canberra Alliance for Harm Minimisation and Advocacy, and The Connection, which is Canberra's peer-based drug and alcohol service for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander clients. News from the Drug War Front reports on news stories that are relevant to illicit drug users from Australia and around the world. Many of the articles featured in the program come from other sources, including the mainstream media. 
So as such, the contents of this News from the Drug Warfront broadcast slash podcast may not necessarily reflect the views and or policies of Karma and the Connection. Karma and the Connection focuses on harm reduction messages, drug treatment support services, advocacy and community development and we seek to reduce the harms associated with drug use and its criminalisation through the provision of programs that foster community development and the delivery of person-centred, holistic health care. Karma exists to promote the health and human rights of people who use drugs and people who use drug treatment services. So it's really just hoping we get treated like other citizens. Like human beings. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Is that too much to ask? And that, in some places, apparently it is, Geoffrey. Karma, as most regular listeners will know, and The Connection provide a wide range of services such as advocacy, peer education, uh, peer treatment support, education and... um, Sorry, that was a text just coming through saying good luck. Thanks, Pete. Thanks, Jack. Um, Support groups, mentoring and referrals. Above all, Karma and The Connection are harm reduction services, which you should remember. That means they're run from a peer basis, no judgment. Karma and the Connection are located in Bill Connon Churches Centre, Shop 17, Level 1, 54 Benjamin Way. The drop-in hours are 10am to 4pm, Monday to Friday. Contact can be made on 6253 3643 or by email in karma at info at And I would suggest that people contacted karma by phone or by email before dropping in simply because we still have COVID. COVID We've yeah. got up to 1,300, you know, cases every day, Jeffrey, and this new... Um, variant, variant the new variants are coming through. Like they said this morning that they're looking at 3,000 cases a day perhaps in Queensland alone, wow. right in Brisbane, and that's pretty freaky. And that the, um, the infection time, like just the fact that you have had COVID may only keep you the reduced uh, possibility of reinfection may only keep you safe for 28 days as opposed to six to eight weeks. Is that right? Oh, sorry, 12 weeks is what it used to be. Yeah. So 28 days, which is only four weeks. Pretty freaky. So COVID still exists. We still need to think about, still have to wear masks on buses and public transport, but keep safe and keep, keep yourself and others safe by wearing masks whenever you're in a closed environment, and keep an eye on your uh, status, how you're feeling, whether you've lost your sense of smell or taste. Anyway. I'm just surprised how quickly um, the public health messages were taken away. Absolutely. Yeah, it's like everyone thought COVID gone. It's gone. We're post-COVID. Happy days are here again. And, you know, stop wearing masks. and It's just rubbish. And it's like... Who made that up? But that's because right. certainly that wasn't the decision of the um, the council that was put together by ScoMo et al. Yeah. to oversee it. They just lost their airtime, and that's pretty horrendous, isn't it? You know, just shut up and don't talk about COVID because it's not important for the election. That was my feeling. That, that was my feeling that too. It actually, can't, and, that's and the message like- that we were getting, and. It, ACT had was looking at eight hundred to a thousand cases a day at that stage. Wow! Yeah, which was three weeks ago, four weeks ago, Jeffrey. I can remember back when a dozen was enough to 
Send a chill down And we were spine. having two a day and everybody was yeah. freaking out. Two in hospital, sorry. Yeah. And everyone was freaking out. And now we've got this variant that is so infectious that we're looking at real problems with it, yeah? Anyway, look, I need to finish the karma uh, blurb. Karma can assist with people with a wide range of issues, including advice and advocacy around opioid maintenance treatment, which is really important, and I'll mention something about that afterwards. Accessing and being paid to treat your hepatitis C in conjunction with Hep ACT, the Reach, Teach, Treat, Thrive program. Um, and that's really important. They've got a great program out now, um, the RTTT one, which in which you get paid or incentivised to go and get your... Um, it's your right to have... Basically, that's the... Um, the uh, catch cry behind the program it's your right to have a healthy liver you can get free treatments and you can make your liver healthy again get rid of hepatitis c and don't be subject to the possibility of of liver cancer yeah which you don't want we're actually going to have the new um ceo of uh, hepatitis act as a guest in two weeks oh great uh, ahead of world hepatitis day oh that would be wonderful yeah, yeah Yeah, another one. Another one. Sent her an email um, invitation yesterday. Oh, that's wonderful. That'd be really great. Anyway, we can help people to overcome with and help with cope with and overcome the impact of stigma and discrimination directed towards them as illicit drug users. Help people to access detox, rehab, and other ATOD treatment services. There's a walk-in health clinic with a doctor and nurse from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. every Wednesday in partnership with Directions. Uh, no appointment necessary. Peer education workshops, including opioid overdose management training, so Dave runs that, and The Fix, which is a series of one-hour paid workshops that aim to educate people on all aspects of harm reduction, provide assistance and advocacy with people who are experiencing social issues or having trouble navigating social services, and that's really difficult to do on your own behalf. So having an advocate to speak on your behalf in front of other services is a really good idea because it sounds... Often people feel that they sound like they're whinging when they're asking for something for themselves, but if somebody who believes that you have the right to it is advocating on your behalf, you feel a bit more empowered. Uh, so I think advocacy is a really crucial. important part of, yeah. ca- of, connect- of karma's operations and connections. The Connections Harm Reduction Peer Education Program, Murugadi, is for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander First Nations clients. The Connection Team also offer the same assistance as Karma, but in a culturally appropriate fashion that's tailored specifically for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander clients. Actually, one of the good things about the election result (laughs) was the... um, recognition of the um you know statement from the yes the statement from the heart yeah. i'm so pleased about that we're because we reread that yeah it's such a went on the fifth anniversary generous of spirit document it is to, isn't it and that was what um had horrified me about that last government was the generosity of spirit was absolutely lacking yeah the mean mean spiritedness of just you look at Sazelja refused to step down for two weeks after the election, until the last possibility right? of him actually being re-elected. He wasn't going to get back in anyway. Mm. That was clear. Everybody else had stated it, but he was not stepping down, not giving up. 
until the last, very last minute. And talk about mean-spirited. Mm. That's a perfect example of it. The last bit about this, if you're having problems with alcohol, uh, tobacco or drug use, don't know where to get help, or even if you just want to talk about your use with someone who can empathise with your experience and who won't judge you for it, give Karma a call. That number is 62533643. If we're unable to help you, then we try to find someone who can. Yeah, excellent, Marion. The Karma's there to, um, to help. Absolutely. Help, help and listen. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't want them helping, they won't do it. Yeah. But just to talk to because so often you feel like you're the only person that's doing it. Yeah. You feel isolated and alone, particularly when we have things like the lockdown, the number of people that went into the use of drugs and getting intoxicated just for the hell of it because they just needed to cope with being alone. Yeah was monumental and we have plenty of evidence of that happening, yeah. not just anecdotal but research yeah, evidence. Indeed. All right, um, news from the Drug War Front reports on news stories that are relevant to illicit drug users from Australia and also around the world. Um, the contents come, oh, sorry, do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Karma and the Connection. Uh, Karma does not condone nor condemn drug use and does not promote illicit activity. <laughs> However, we recognise that drug use happens and will continue to happen regardless of laws and UN conventions. As such, Karma focuses on harm reduction, messages, drug treatment, support services, advocacy and community development and seek to reduce the harms associated with drug use and its criminalisation through the provision of programs that foster community development and the delivery of person-centred holistic health care. Karma, <coughs> Karma advocates for equity of health service delivery for all people. All right, let's go to a song. I thought it... Um, Play one, given my question to you, had the drug war ended? Let's, <laughs> let's hope um, this can inspire us. Um, T-Rex and Children of the Revolution. Oh, yeah, good on you, Mark.
on your mark. Ah, Mark Boland, T-Rex, Children of the Revolution. Was he fabulous or was he not, yeah? Indeed. All right, it's 10.47 on Community Radio 2XFM, uh, 98.3, People Powered Radio, and you'll listen to News from the Drug Warfront, brought to you by Karma and the Connection. Now, first story is uh, from ABC Health News, Gemma Conroy. Can microdosing psychedelics improve your mental health? Mm. Here's what the science says. When Simone Sergina returned to Melbourne after living in the United States for six years, she felt like her life had fallen apart. The 49-year-old therapist uh, said, quote, I was in a really, really dark place and I just couldn't get myself out of it. It felt like all the colours had been washed out of life. I just had no motivation. Ooh, yeah. had that feeling. <laughs> uh, Ms. Sergina had never taken any illicit drugs, but she was curious about whether taking tiny doses of psilocybin mushrooms otherwise known as magic mushrooms, could help her clear the fog. So she started taking 120 milligrams, roughly 10% of a standard recreational dose, of the, of the hallucinogen a couple of times a week, an approach known as microdosing. The dose was too small to trigger kaleidoscopic vision, visuals or profound visions, but it was just enough to feel like the sun was shining again, mm. she said. Gave me back days where I just went, oh, that's what it feels like to be happy and normal again. It gave me the strength to get through those dark periods. Ms. Sergener is among a growing number of people who are microdosing psychedelics, particularly psilocybin and LSD, to ease anxiety and depression, improve well-being and boost creativity and focus. While no one knows how many people microdose in Australia or overseas, online discussion groups suggest that the trend is picking up. One Reddit microdosing community has grown to over 200,000 members since launching in 2013, and a Facebook group called Psilocybin Microdosing 101 has gathered 14,000 members in just two years. Yeah. The federal government has announced it will finally support, it will financially support clinical trials testing whether psychedelics can help treat mental illness. Here's what we know. Once the drugs of choice among hippies, music festival goers and Silicon Valley startup merchants, psychedelics have also caught the eye of researchers in recent years as potential treatments for mental health issues, including depression and anxiety. In March last year, the federal government committed $15 million to support clinical research that will investigate whether psychedelics can treat debilitating conditions like post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, addiction and eating disorders. Vince Polito, a cognitive psychologist at Macquarie University, says psychedelics have gone through this very interesting transition in the last few years, from being something that is fairly taboo to something that people seem generally interested in. Despite this wave of interest, psychedelics remain prohibited at Schedule 9 substances in Australia. Last year, the Therapeutic Goods Administration, or TGA, rejected a call to downscale psilocybin and MDMA or ecstasy to control substances. What is microdosing? While taking an LSD tab or a couple of grams of magic mushrooms triggers intense hallucinations and shifts in consciousness, taking a microdose, typically 10 to 20% of a standard or recreational dose, often has a much subtler effect. Jay not their real name, a 25-year-old disability worker, said that for him, microdosing LSD is more like a, quote, personal enhancer, end quote, than a full-blown trip. 
He said taking small doses of the drug had helped him overcome his social anxiety and become more confident. Jay, who is based in in Sydney, told the ABC, quote, microdosing helps me connect with people on a social level, on an emotional level, whereas a full recreational dose almost muddles up my internals a little bit. I won't be able to talk. I won't be able to string my sentences together properly. End quote. A handful of recent studies reveal people are drawn to microdosing for a variety of reasons. A 2019 survey of more than a 1,000 people found that most common reasons to try microdosing are enhanced performance and improved mood. Another survey of over 400 microdoses revealed that more than half took minuscule doses of psychedelics to help them cope with depression, anxiety and ADHD. The same study found that others microdosed to find relief from physical ailments, including migraines, chronic pain and cluster headaches. Ailet Waldman spent her life struggling with debilitating mood swings, anger and depression. Then she discovered LSD. Some people may turn to microdosing because they don't trust conventional treatments like antidepressant medications or feel that they aren't effective, said Stephen Bright, a psychologist at Edith Cowan University. Dr Bright said... Hmm, okay. I just thought that was an incredible hop from Olet Waldman spent her life struggling to Stephen Bright, a psychologist. We must have missed a paragraph out there. Anyway, Dr Bright said there's some bad public sentiment towards big pharma and antidepressant drugs. People may have already tried an antidepressant drug and found that it wasn't particularly effective, as long as you try it first to find out, end quote. Dr Bright suggested that another draw card of microdosing is that it could be seen as more socially accepted than taking a full-blown psychedelic trip. Quote, it almost feels as if it's a, it's like a way of trying to make psychedelics fit into our with our current fit within our current society. End quote. Early results from trials on the therapeutic potential of large doses, aka also known as macrodosing of psychedelics, have been promising. But what about microdosing? Can tiny doses of psychedelics really lift depression, reduce anxiety and make you more creative and productive? The evidence we have so far is a mixed bag. Well, because there wouldn't be a huge amount of evidence given I wouldn't have thought the so, but there, such, what evidence there is, yeah. it's interesting to see. And you'd have to question the reason for investigating it anyway, wouldn't you? I mean, that... There's always a question of what was the hypothesis behind the research. Was it a, a, a wish to find out, to confirm your existing point of view, yep. or did you want to undermine somebody else's point of view? Or look for a business opportunity. That- Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the, the range of reasons contribute to the hypothesis behind the research and we always have to remember that Absolutely. statistics damn lies lies damn yeah, lies and statistics, statistics i think right. it's cool uh it says in may this year vince polito co-authored a review of every single microdosing study that had been published between 1955 and 2021 
Dr. Polito assessed the effects reported in the studies across various categories, from mood and mental health to creativity and cognition. Several studies in the review suggested that microdosing psychedelics could indeed spark up your mood and reduce anxiety. Another 2019 study on over 1,000 microdoses found that participants reported better moods, increased energy and improved work performance. And a 2021 study on over 8,000 participants revealed that among those with mental health conditions and, or concerns, microdoses said they experienced lower levels of depression, anxiety and stress than their non-microdosing counterparts. But while the results seem glowing on the surface, it's important to take them with a grain of salt, according to Dr. Polito. He says most of the studies that have looked at mood and mental health show that people who microdose do report benefits and sometimes quite striking benefits. However, the majority of that research does come from self-report studies. Unlike lab studies, which are carried out in a controlled setting and often compare a drug's effect with a placebo, self-report studies involve asking participants about their experiences through questionnaires, surveys or polls. Mm. A benefit of this approach is that it offers a cheap, straightforward way to collect data from a lot of people, particularly for research on illegal substances, which are often difficult to access due to regulatory hurdles and reluctance on the part of participants to openly discuss illicit and heavily stigmatised activities. Absolutely. And that's, that's, the point that's that always been a problem, hasn't I, it? I think it's always been a problem, yeah. um, Marion, even with the IDRS yes. survey, which yes. is done annually, 100 people, you know, answer a survey and get a payment. And, um, it's a, and it's about the questions, it's about the payments, about the site that you're, you know, it's about who's asking the questions. So, I mean, the results we've had, peer studies and researcher-originated studies have always seemed to be markedly different, yeah, because what people are prepared to admit to, uh, to a peer and what they're prepared to admit to, to a researcher, are often very different. And I think when you think about the amount of drug use in Australia, um, there is precious little research that we can draw on. Yeah, that's know. right. Um, yeah, we've got the news coming up we shortly. Have so, um, we might need to finish this after you. Well, how about I do uh, do four and five and then is that the end of it? No. Yeah, it does go on for a bit. Maybe it just, is, just chat about long. it for two minutes and then... Yeah, I think we can do that. Yeah, Because I, mean, I think that's really that's a really important point, Jeffrey. that... When we talk about um, what sort of research is available, last week we were talking about um, measuring drug use, again, in the waste water, mm. yeah? I mean, and I How much are we spending that, on that? That's yeah. a really spurious set of data right there because I don't know you can whether you can tell if somebody has dropped some dope down the system because they got busted, so that area is going to have a particular amount of, um, you know, ice, particularly in the wastewater, or particular load of paper will actually go somewhere to, to wee. <laughs> Do you know what I yeah, mean? It's, it's just pretty broad what brush, can, yeah. How, how um, solid is the information that you get from that data? <laughs> so just, oh, sorry, <laughs> boom, boom. <laughs> it's really difficult to figure out whether it's real or not, whether that data is real or not. Um, and it, it, but it gets you away from the self-reporting and it gets, but it takes you into, again, a particular person's perspective mm. of how we can measure drug use and I don't think it makes any sense to me because I don't think we come up with figures that are much different yeah. from 
plucking one out of the air. Pretty yeah? much, yeah. I mean, I just think that's about what it's it's what it equates to. Yeah. It just anyway, I've just had a text from Peyton Jack who said, "Welcome back, Jeffrey. They're happy to have you oh, back." Oh, awesome! Thank you, guys. Which is really nice that's of really, them. Yes. And I just have to say, I'm really thrilled too. It's just. Was lovely to have Dave on, and we had you know quite a good time with you. But it's really nice to have you back with us. And I appreciate Dave yeah. and everyone who helped out. Uh, he was a he was a hoot. Yeah, awesome. It was great. Yeah, no, it's it, it, aside from the temperature, it's great to be back. <laughs> <laughs> the major problem always winter in Canberra. Winter in America is cold. Yeah. Canberra just keeps Keep getting, getting colder. colder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wish sure. I could have known. <laughs> Yeah, As much of life to leave life enough alone. <laughs> Who wrote that one? Yes. Um, I can't remember. Yeah. Come on, Jack, tell me. Who I, wrote I Winter song, in America but... is Cold? Yeah. Got a feeling it was, well, obviously, some folky. Anyway, yeah. I Back think to it's the time, news. time for the news. And Let's then go. We shall return after the news. All right, it's uh, about four minutes after 11 and welcome back to this week's News from the Drug War Front, brought to you by Karma and The Connection. And uh, we might go to a song and this is um, a bit of a tale of uh, woe uh, by Ice-T uh, called Midnight Ice-T. What's up, Iceberg? Yo, baby, what's happening, Randy Mac? How you doing, man? Oh, man, I'm just lounging, man. I'm tripping off you busting this dope album and shit, man. Like how this going down, man? I like the way this shit is going down. But check this out, G. You got to kick some of that old rough six in the morning type shit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, back to the OG, you know what I'm but saying? But let me tell you what you're going to need, homie. You're going to need a crazy, stupid, fly, slamming beat. Oh, yo, I got that, homie. Well, check this out. What about some of them old criminal gangster old school stories? Man, you know I got millions of them, homeboy. Yeah, okay. But I don't want to call it six in the morning, man. What you gonna call it, homie? Oh, 
All right, that was a fairly uh, dramatic tale from Ice-T from the OG original Gangster album, and that was Midnight. And welcome back to News from the Drug War Front. And Maddie, you're just going to finish off the microdosing. Um, Just thanks, Jack. To Jack, that uh, Doug Ashdown did Winterism in America is Cold oh, in 1978. So That's thank right. you, my local Wikipedia. Um, just finish off this article, is microdosing safe? The rest of it is merely about pros and cons, who's arguing for and who's arguing against. Large long-term studies would also reveal whether microdosing is safe enough to become the new therapeutic kid on the block. Although microdoses may be less likely to have a bad trip, Even a small dose of hallucinogenic substance still has the potential to trigger psychotic episodes or other mental issues, particularly for people with a history of bipolar disorder or schizophrenia. 
Another concern is taking psychedelics, psychedelics regularly over long periods can lead to cardiac problems. A handful of studies have shown that psychedelics, including psilocybin, LSD and MDMA, activate a receptor called 5-HT2B, which plays a role in heart structure and function. The activation of this receptor over long periods has been linked to valvular heart disease in high-dose MDMA users, but it isn't known whether microdosing carries the same risk. Dr. Polito said, that's a question that hasn't been answered yet. We'd really need to do very long-term studies. Dr. Polito and his team are currently conducting a double-blind placebo-controlled study that will explore how microdosing psilocybin impacts the brain. The researchers are aiming to recruit about 80 people to take part in two double-blind placebo-controlled lab sessions that will investigate whether reported effects such as performance enhancement and improved mental health can be confirmed in brain scans and blood biomarkers. Dr. Polito explains, quote, We're really trying to get at this question of whether there really is a pharmacological effect or whether this is mainly based on placebo expectations. If we find differences in neural activity between these two visits, it will be pretty good evidence that there are some physiological changes and it's not just people's expectations. Um, Definitely some possibilities. Um, well, bottom line, Jeffrey, is I would have expected that in terms, you know, in terms of researchers saying, is it safe? Well, we haven't done those studies yet to show it. Mm. In, for me, the bottom line in any drug taking is how you feel about and what you expect from a drug mm. generally is controlled about what's happened controlled by what happened to you before yeah. and what you think is going to happen in the next time. Drugs, as a rule, do what you want them to do the way you want it to do it, and they do it on regular. On the, and that's why people take them regularly, mm, yeah? Indeed. They're not like people. They don't change over time, as a rule, unless they change in constituents, yeah, yeah in their component parts. Which, in a black market, is... That's why people have habits, because they get the same thing out of the same drug every time they use it, yeah. even if they get a reduced reaction because of some tolerance. Yeah. But researchers inevitably will say we can't tell the truth because we go back to lies, damned lies and statistics. They can't say this is true for sure because we haven't done the capital R research, which means, you know, something that's been funded by well, the National get... Health and Me Medical Research yeah. Council, which is the professors and inevitably jobs for the boys hard and money for funding. the boys. Yeah. And when it's drugs with a capital D, meaning the illicit drugs, they're talking about stuff that inevitably people have preconceived bias. And we go back to, again, what, what I was saying about the other stuff, what is the hypothesis behind the research? Yeah. Does it answer the question the way you want it answered? Does it give you the result? And lawyers know you do not ask a question unless you know what the answer mm -hmm. is. It's a very so good point. So this is a... Yeah. It's an important point, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so that's the story about microdosing is we don't know. No. But if it does what you think it does, you're probably okay for a little while. Maybe don't hook into it forever. But I know people who have microdosed and been satisfied with the outcome of it. Mm -hmm. um, and really, if, that's, if it does good stuff for you and you're not getting yourself into trouble with it, be careful. Yeah. 
know what you're getting, which is always a problem on the black market. Yeah, that's... But do, yeah, do it if it makes you feel good. Just be careful you don't get yourself a habit on it because that in itself can be a problem, yeah? All right, so we're going to this next piece, which is um, interesting, I thought, tracking the alarming rise in strange new illicit drugs flooding Australia. Indeed. By Jennifer Schumann, July the 5th. Two years ago, in a field of forensic medicine known as toxico-surveillance, a group involving Monash Uni and Monash Health began taking samples of blood and other fluids from drug overdose patients in emergency departments to see what was there. This was due to an alarming rise in strange new drugs flooding into the illicit market in Australia. Mm. The drugs are mainly made in clandestine factories in China or India. They're sold online in the first instance. Many, when taken in combination with other drugs or on their own, can be fatal. They're intended to mimic ecstasy, amphetamines, LSD, opioids, cannabis and benzodiazepines such as Xanax. Quote, the compounds are often referred to as research chemicals, said Monash's Associate Professor Jennifer Schumann, Head of the Drug Intelligence Unit at the Victorian Institute of Forensic Medicine. They were originally made for more legitimate purposes. For example, she says, a lot of novel synthetic opioids were initially synthesised in the 50s and 60s to investigate potential alternative analgesics, but never progressed to the market. But now they're being synthesised illegally. However, the real investigative beginnings of this story, tracking the rise of, quote, novel psychoactive substances in Australia, starts with a cluster of five deaths in six months in Melbourne in 2016 and 2017. According to The Age, once the deaths had gone to the Victorian coroner, uh, quote, the cluster of deaths was uncovered when 20 people were hospitalised in one weekend in January 2017 after taking what police thought was bad ecstasy in a nightclub precinct. One died in front of his girlfriend, another on Christmas Day. The novel psychoactive substances were 25C, N-bomb-E and 4-fluoroamphetamine, which were were believed, which the takers believed were MDMA or magic mushrooms. 25C, N-bomb-E is an N-bomb or a lab-made psychedelic powder. 4-fluoroamphetamine is a lab-made chemical that can mimic amphetamine, methamphetamine or MDMA. The state's coroner recommended urgent public drug testing as a result of the deaths. Mm, Toxico surveillance unit established. The Emerging Drugs Network of Australia, EDNA, was formed in 2019, comprising emergency physicians, toxicologists and forensic laboratories from most states and territories to conduct, quote, toxico surveillance, end quote, in hospital emergency departments. Melbourne and wider Victoria, as EDNAV, or V for Victoria, started up in 2020 and provides the Victorian part of the network. Victoria has 17 hospitals, regional and metropolitan, in the system. The difference now is that instead of relying largely on user reports in hospital, that is, patients saying what they took, fluids are taken, quote, comprehensive biological fluid forensic analysis to identify exposures, says Associate Professor Sean Green, an honorary clinical toxicologist at Monash Health and the project's lead. Associate Professor Green is also medical director of the Victorian Poisons Information Centre and an emergency medicine physician in clinical and clinical toxicologist at Austin Health. Analysis of drugs in hospitals up until this point in Australia has been basis, basic, said Associate Professor Sherman. 
Quote, clinicians would agree that patients are treated symptomatically for what is wrong with them at the time. But we're looking at the toxico-surveillance approach so we know what is circulating in the community. He goes on, it may not help the patient in the short term in terms of their recovery from that incident, but it does better inform the community and helps clinicians understand what's around which may improve treatment in the long term. The illicit drug monitoring links in with uh, links in with similar international schemes in a global network of quote early warning systems end quote in Europe these warning systems have found on average one new substance a week no that's surprise. pretty regular that's, yeah, isn't it yeah. and that would be averaging out yeah. you probably think that that'd be three or four at the same time well yeah. given how many new synthetic and the combination yeah. of drugs yeah, yeah. of substances. taking a molecule here and a molecule there and yeah yeah. Okay, early detection. The EDNAV network has already found many novel psychoactive substances before they've been otherwise detected in Australia. It's a partnership with the Victorian Department of Health and Human Services, which facilitates rapid dissemination of public health alerts to the community. The EDNAV project has found illicit benzodiazepines, opioids, cathinones, hallucinogens and synthetic cannabinoids and has highlighted significant differences between individuals' reports and actual forensic analysis. Users were over 16 and public health alerts were issued, all from EDNAV except for the March 2020 alert on UPS-stamped ecstasy pilled. The main message so far is that people don't know what they're taking, which is something we say, we say every, every week, week don't yeah, we, Jeff? A black market, you cannot guarantee. You cannot guarantee it. Quote, we've seen cocaine and MDMA that people thought they were taking but was actually a substance called PMMA. We've seen many novel benzodiazepines and there are more and more appearing all the time. We've detected novel benzodiazepines that have never been in Australia before. And I have to say, Jeff, that uh, a friend of mine thought they were buying Xanax the other week, but it didn't look the same, Uh, didn't taste the same, didn't come on the same. And wasn't the same. (laughs) It basically just wasn't the same. But it was sold as Xanax and it came through on the dark web. So... You need to be careful of yeah. what you're taking. Often things will do what you think they're going to do because you think they're going to do it. Yeah, but, but if you it's don't not know the what you're thing, putting into yourself, yeah. you, and it's not tested, and the darker, the you know, the darker the um, the place that you're getting it from, the less illuminated it is, the less likely it is to be exactly what you thought it was. Yeah, that's a good point, Mary. Um, I think the biggest concern is that people simply do not know what they're taking. Um, says Associate Professor Schumann. They're using illicit drugs that they're buying off the internet or from their local dealer mm-hmm. without, without realising <laughs> yeah. what's actually in that pill or powder. We've had cases where people have reported buying a specific drug from the internet, but we've detected multiple novel compounds in that individual's blood that they had no idea that they'd taken. Mm. They're getting more potent formulations, for example, <laughs> taking a single <laughs> pill, exactly what you said. That's what I just said, yeah. Um, they think is uh, Xanax, that's Alprazolam, not realising that it's actually a combination of far more potent benzodiazepines. One of the latest discoveries from the labs is a benzodiazepine derivative called Phenazepam, which despite being banned by several European countries, is still available with a prescription or on the black market in Russia and some mm. former Soviet states. 
For the researchers, it can be a case of one step forward, two steps back, as new drugs come onto the market. A lot of these illicit manufacturers have expert organic chemists that tweak a compound to create a new designer drug that may be structurally similar but far more toxic, Mm. says Associate Professor Schumann. There's now more than 1,200 different novel substances that have been reported to the European early warning system, and it's constantly growing. Yeah. That's a bit of a worry. It is a bit of a worry. Okay, seven, eight, you... Okay, I'm a lost number nine. Do you want to go to a song? Or? There's no number. Oh, an end tonight. Oh, no, yes, because that's the end of it. Yeah, absolutely. Let's go to a song, Jeffrey. I, but that's really interesting and, and probably not something we would not have expected. I mean, in the sorry to double negative eyes at everybody, something we probably would have expected. Yeah. That's yep. the kind of report that we get. Yep. But we've known that forever and we've been saying it forever. Whenever you make things against the law, illicit or illicit, yep. you drive people to the underground. You drive them further and further into um, unknown origins. Yep. And creativity of people who've done chemistry is beyond belief, really. Indeed. Hooray for the pill testing Yes. Thing being yeah. opened up in the yeah. ACT. Yeah. Um, well and done. I would say to people, um, I don't know the contact number for the pill testing unit at the moment, if it's available. But uh, as soon as we have details, as soon as we've got information on that, we will let you know. If you're worried about the pills that you're getting and you're not sure what's in them and you don't think they look the same or they taste the same as what you're expecting, We'll give you the information when we get it, but we chase up the origins, not the origins, but the contents of the pills um, through the pill testing unit once we know how to get in touch with it. But I really would say don't buy it if you don't know what it is. Yeah. Um, Unless it's from a regular... Yeah, a regular uh, origin. If it's somebody that you know and can go back to and say, I don't think this is what you meant to sell me. Well, that's where the... um Drug testing facility will be such a that will major be such a great in, yeah. help, yeah? yeah, particularly with these drugs. All right, uh, might play a song. This is from Electric Ladyland, Jimi Hendrix, uh, all along the Watchtower. Oh wow, Jimi Hendrix.
team awesome yeah some lovely feedback yeah thank you okay that was jimmy hendrix and uh, all along the watchtower of course it's coming up about half past 11 we're into the last half an hour of this week's news from the drug war front on community radio 2x and we should just remind you 2x is public radio that means it relies on public sponsorship to continue to operate so, yes, get into it, get involved in, in 2XX. Um, the office is open at 11, from 11 to 2, I believe. Be a supporter if you get can. Get in touch with the coordinator and be a supporter of 2XX because it keeps us going yep. and we appreciate their existence and I'm sure those people who listen to XX regularly will appreciate it but know that it must be funded by the public to keep on operating successfully. Indeed. Well said. Okay, so we're going on to... We're going to talk about Rodrigo Absolutely. Our favourite villain. Well, second favourite, maybe. I think Putin's probably risen to the top at the moment. But in terms of drug wars, 
Duterte's violent bad. war on drugs, as recorded by rights groups, international bodies, by Jodes Gavlian, the 4th of the 7th, 2022. This is from the Rappler website, and if listeners will remember maybe that last week we reported that um, the Rappler website was, tr- was being shut down or trying to be shut down legally, um, but they're fighting that. Manila, Philippines. As Ferdinand Marcos Jr. or Bongbong Marcos assumed the presidency, Rodrigo Duterte stepped down. Human rights advocates had one message, quote, never forget, end quote. Human rights lawyers Ross Dugard said, remembering the killings under Duterte's war on drugs as well as other human rights abuses is, quote, the first step to any form of justice as well as domestic mechanisms, continue to be ineffective in holding perpetrators accountable. She told Rappler in an interview, quote, We owe it to the victims and their families to never forget what happened during the Duterte administration. While it may seem now that everyone is focused on the Marcus administration, the challenge really is to effectively communicate the message that the drug war and its violence must not be forgotten. At least 6,252 individuals were killed in police operations under Duterte's war on drugs, his administration flagship campaign, as of May 31, 2022. This number does not include victims of vigilante-style killings, which human rights groups estimated between 27,000 and 30,000. Documents obtained by Rappler, however, show that Philippine National Police, PNP, already recorded 7,884 deaths between July 1st, 2016 to August 31st. It's certainly many, many thousands, yeah. Jeffrey, I remember in the first six months of Duterte's, it was already 6,000. So if it stayed at 6,000 over the next, you know, however many years, I cannot see it happening. As developments unfold, the article goes on, as developments unfold at the International Criminal Court, particularly Prosecutor Karim Khan's decision to seek resumption of his investigation... There should be continued efforts to preserve every piece of information that gives a factual picture of what the, quote, worst human rights crisis post-martial law looked like. Rappler compiles various reports of local and international groups and institutions that documented Duterte's violent war on drugs amid blatant whitewashing, if not a total lack of transparency, by his administration and allies. Yeah, it goes on to say, six months into Duterte's drug war, Amnesty International released a report detailing the, quote, informal economy of death that stemmed from financial rewards that police allegedly received in exchange for killing suspected drug personalities. The report by Amnesty is based on 110 interviews. According to one police officer, the group interviewed, they are paid between, is it pesos? Yes, pesos. 8,000 and 15,000 pesos with cash coming from, quote, headquarters with, quote, no incentive for arresting. Mm. The police also reportedly paid other people to carry out executions, mostly important in the poorest communities. Yep. Human Rights Watch, police falsifying evidence in the drug war. Police are falsifying evidence recovered from alleged drug personalities killed in anti-drug operations, according to the report re- released by Human Rights Watch back on March the 1st, 2017. 
In its four-month investigation that covered 32 deaths, Human Rights Watch found that state agents, quote, bolstered their claims that they acted in self-defence hmm. by routinely planting guns, yep. bullets and illegal drugs next to the bodies of the victims. Yep, yep, yep. We knew that, didn't we? we? Knew that I was... love that description, drug personalities, as opposed to drug users, drug sellers, drug addicts. Just yeah. call them drug users. Junkies. But drug... drug personalities are a great description. It is. <laughs> the report also said that the uh, PNP is responsible for the wave of vigilante-style killings across the Philippines, pointing out the details of executions carried out by unidentified suspects mirror countless other operations by undercover police. Indeed. An investigation by the Philippines Human Rights Information Centre, aka Phil Rights, aka Phil Rights, found that Duterte's violent drug war pushed poor families deeper into poverty. Phil Wright said that its analysis of killings between 2017 and 2018 showed that victims were, quote, male adults within productive age range, primary breadwinners, breadwinners, sorry, low or irregular wage earners and of low educational attainment and residents of poor urban communities, end quote. This leaves women now widows as primary breadwinners and caregivers of families, the group said in its report released on September 19, 2018. Amnesty International says the killing in a drug war deliberate and systematic. The killings in the Philippines that stemmed from Duterte's violent war on drugs already reached the threshold of crimes against humanity. Human Humanity, sorry, Amnesty International pointed out in its report released on July 8, 2019. The group examined the circumstances surrounding at least 20 related kill drug-related killings between May 2018 and April 2019 and identified patterns, including the alleged planting of evidence and inconsistencies in police reports, among others. Families also fail to file cases because police deny their request for official documents. These findings, Amnesty said, show that killings are, quote, deliberate and systematic, end quote, in nature and may appear to be of the, quote, government-orchestrated attack against poor people. I think that's fairly safe to say. I yeah. think so, yeah. A May 2020 report released by Human Rights Watch detailed the harmful consequences on children left behind by victims of Duterte's war on drugs. Well, yeah, I mean, imagine walking back up and seeing your father or your brother Just yeah, dead, dead on the floor. The street, yeah. yeah, the group documented quote drastic changes in children, saying these were brought about by psychological distress due to having witnessed the death of a loved one. These effects can last well into adulthood. The report also highlighted the lack of government support for children affected by the drug war, on top of challenges faced by those left behind. Orphan children had to take the role of primary breadwinner, dropping out of school to work odd jobs just to put food on the table. Mm. Filipino writes, just the system uh, leaves no hope for families. Dishonesty and lack of transparency are glaring features of the Duterte administration that hinder families of drug war victims from taking any steps towards justice, according to a Phil Wright's report released on February the 5th, 2020. In its analysis covering killings between 2017 and 2019, 
The group found that police investigations were, quote, rarely down after incidents of killings, while state agents allegedly discouraged families from pursuing any legal actions. Mm. The report said most of the families have expressed that they've lost their trust with the justice system. Some families were told that nothing can be done to to the cases of the victims because they're already dead and that there's no point investigating their cases. God, isn't that pathetic? And then they wouldn't give them the paperwork so they could lay a complaint anyway. UN Rights Office says Duterte's words incited violence, local justice system not working. The widespread killings in the Philippines suggested, quote, suggest that Duterte's public comments may have incited violence and may have had the effect of encouraging, backing or even ordering human rights violations with impunity. End quote, according to the report of the human of the United Nations Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights, the UNOHC. Uh, HR. The Office of UN Rights Chief Michelle Bachelet also found that documents that show that show that police repeatedly recovered guns bearing the same serial numbers from different victims in different locations. It's a bit of a give up. Meanwhile, domestic mechanisms are not effective in getting accountability for the killings. The comprehensive report was released on June 4, 2020 and was done following a resolution by the UN Human Rights Council. Investigate PH, wide range abuses under Duterte. In its first report on March 15, 2021, Global Coalition Investigate PH said the human rights violations under Duterte intensified following the release of the comprehensive United Nations report. It also rejected the government's claim that there are functioning local justice mechanisms. Quote, the state focuses that uh, forces, sorry, that perpetrate violence are obstructing investigations. Investigations that are carried out have usually been neither impartial nor independent, but are overseen wholly or in part by the agencies responsible for abuse, the group said. Investigate PH released a second report on July 6, 2021, that was like three months later, that made mention, four months later, that made mention of how Duterte's, quote, killing machine perfected through the, quote, the sick war on drugs is now being turned on human rights defenders and political opponents of the government's policy. In the third report, released on September the 13th, 2021, the coalition said that militaristic response of the Duterte administration to the coronavirus pandemic, quote, only exacerbated economic hardships, end quote, faced by Filipinos. It's just been a dreadful policy, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, one Threat- after another after another. Yeah, it's just sort of... Throughout his entire You know, presidency. even I've watched the Filipino new, Philippines news in the morning, Jeffrey, just so I can and see if they actually interview Duterte or not because he blatantly swears, like he says the F word oh, he's on public television. Yeah, they are really loath to even yeah. interview him and this is the state media, yeah? yeah. yeah. <laughs> they really the find it hard to interview yeah. the president because of his language. Yeah. So you have to think if he's not even controlling his behaviour for the public media, for the televised media, what do you think he's doing in private? Oh, yeah? I hate to think. Yeah. 
frightening. International Criminal Court Pre-Trial Chamber. Killing is state policy in Duterte's Philippines. It is apparent that the widespread killings in the Philippines under Duterte, quote, took place pursuant to or in furtherance of um, state policy, uh, said the International Criminal Court's Pre-Trial Chamber on September 15th, 2021. This is just one of many observations by the court as it greenlit ICC prosecutor Karim Khan's investigation into the drug war killings from July 2016 to March the 16th, 2019, or up until the Philippines ceased to be a member state of the International Criminal Court. Mm. That's right, they pulled out. That's right, they did, yeah. The probe will also cover killings in Davao City from 2011 to 2016, where Duterte was the mayor before he became president. Citing government documents, the ICC pretrial chamber said there is a clear link between killings and the government's formal anti-drug campaign, adding that the violent rhetoric of Duterte and other officials contributed to the situation on the ground. Just uh, as a side to that, they've actually closed down the cow um, area the casinos, or state yeah. the, of uh, the Philippines too. Oh, M-A-C. Yeah. oh no, no, that, yeah. Anyway, so they've closed the whole area. Um, as a COVID prevention. Anyway, Macau, actually, yeah, you might be right, Jeffrey. I'm sorry. That's actually a different place. Phil writes, clear intent to hide the truth in the drug war. Phil Wright said there's a clear intent to muddle the truth about the impact of, Duter- impact of Duterte's war on drugs based on its collateral incidents where death certificates are misdeclared or used erroneous information. In a report released in December 2021, the group said it documented how, quote, multidimensional and interrelated, end quote, the impact of Duterte's drug war campaign is on families, adding that the damage of his administration, quote, will be long term, end quote. Bill Wright said, we are in a human rights crisis, one that has caused and is continuing to cause suffering and will have manifold impacts in the years to come. Uh, CHR, the Duterte government stoned wall Arivert investigations, the Commission on Human Rights, or the CHR, said that the Duterte government, quote, failed in its obligation to respect and protect human rights of every citizen, in particular victims of drug-related killings. It has encouraged a culture of impunity that shields perpetrators from being held to account. This was from a commission report released in May 2022 detailing the ways its own investigations were stonewalled by the Duterte government. It said that its probes were, quote, hampered by the predilection and uncooperativeness, end quote, of government agencies involved in the war on drugs and that subpoenas and requests for documents sent to the Philippines National Police were often sometimes refused, denied or ignored. The report also reiterated the Commission's findings of patterns and discrepancies between police reports and accounts of witnesses, as well as indications that the injuries of victims that reflect, quote, the brutality of the anti-drug campaign and indicates the possible abuse of strength and intent to kill by the perpetrators. Well, let's hope the ICC continues to um, investigate. Investigate, yeah, and really. doesn't... Well, Just, they're only going to investigate up to 2019, which is when they pulled out anyway, wasn't yep. it? So, but as long as they keep on investigating at least that time... Hold him to account. ...the reality will come out. Yeah. The problem now is that where is Bong Bong Marcos at? 
Yeah, what's yeah, his perspective? Now that he's the incumbent and, and Duterte's daughter's the vice president. His, yeah, and I and <laughs> you know he was brought up by his father and his mother, who were crooks, yep. proven crooks. Yeah. I'm not even alleged. Yeah. yeah, they were dead set crooks. Who's to know what the environmental stuff that he went through, or in fact, if he actually sold himself or purported to. It's pretty yeah, staggering that he to won. To Duterte, because he won that election hands down. Yeah. Surely there are voters in the Philippines who said, hang on a second, this is the son of a man who ruled with an iron fish yeah. and a corrupt government, yeah. corrupt regime over, what, 40 years? And his wife had 6,000 pairs of shoes. Absolutely. <laughs> that was the big thing about Imelda Marcos, apart from the fact that she was a very unattractive yeah. woman, was that she had monumental numbers of shoes that she hadn't even worn. Yeah. And the I Filipino just wonder. people suffered, yeah. Absolutely, and will suffer again if the, if the regime is no different. Indeed. All right, we'll play a quick song and then wrap up this week's show. Absolutely. Um, we've got uh, Cypress Hill yep. and I Want to Get High, Cypress Hill. Uh. I want to get high 
that it? Well, yeah, that was uh, Cypress Hill, and I want to get high. It said it was. Yeah, what a whingy voice, hey? I want to get high, <laughs> so high. It's distinctive. Yeah, okay. The last article I'm, we're going to do is an international one. It's just uh, cannabinoids as an alternative to opioids for chronic pain. just want to make a comment before that that I said that I would say today. Um, I caught up with a, uh, an old friend this morning who's been on methadone for God knows how long on a fairly high dose of methadone and generally gets uh, a large number of takeaway doses uh, during the week because he's at work in a stable job. Um and he was given some very pale methadone uh, liquid to take away. And this is actually my complaint and my argument against the um, volume enhancement, they call it, right, which is basically watering down of methadone so that if you whack up methadone liquid, you're going to have to whack up Huge like of, yeah. 100 mils yeah. of liquid, which is just, you know, vain death, basically. Mm. But this guy was on 100 milligrams of methadone and he, after three days of taking his doses, he gets about a week of takeaways at a time, he was hanging out. He was jumping, jittering and squidging. And so basically, given that it comes out of a pre-calibrated dosing sort of machine, it's actually a bottle, but a machine, um, he thought that that was wrong and I agree. And this is the big argument against calibration of dose you don't know what dose you're getting if they're volume enhancing it with water you don't know what you're getting it's as bad as being on the streets and getting a powder or a pill when it comes to that and the whole point of getting it through a pharmacy is that you're meant to know exactly what you're getting yeah and some sort some bastard had underdosed this guy so he's getting effectively what he a felt quarter. was 25 milligrams when he's meant to be getting 100 milligrams wow. a day. You notice that after a couple of Big days. Big notice. Yeah. After two days, he three days, he was jumpy and scratchy. Yeah. He went back to them, put the last couple of doses on the counter and said, that's not 100 milligrams. Now, how can anybody tell? Yeah, well, it's so, yeah, one of the once problems. It's, yeah. Once it's dispensed dispense, and was the pharmacist, flogging the dome or were they just underdosing? Was it just a legitimate mistake? But you can't tell. You can't be certain. That's my argument against the volume enhancement. It's brought in without great example. Yeah. Yeah. There was no asking, no argument, no discussion, and I just think it's wrong. Anyway, I'll go to this thing before we have to shut down. Cannabinoids as an alternative to opioids for chronic pain, something we've been talking about for yonks. This is openaccessgovernment.org. The 6th of the 7th, 2022. Cannabinoids with a high THC to CBD ratios can help to improve moderate short-term chronic pain and may be an alternative to opioids. A review of 25 trials and studies accessing cannabinoids, uh, assessing cannabinoids sorry, has found that oral synthetic cannabis products with a high THC to CBD ratio and extracted cannabis products with comparable tetrahydrocannabinol, THC, to cannabidiol, I hate that word, CBD ratios, can improve chronic pain. This could be welcome news for the many people throughout the world who are living and suffering from living with and suffering from chronic pain. However, those these cannabinoids, those these cannabinoids were associated with moderate short-term chronic pain improvements. They were also associated with higher risks for adverse events and few benefits to overall functioning. 
There's something of an opioid epidemic in the United States. These hun- those hundred million Americans living in chronic pain are often prescribed opioids to manage that pain. But as the Annals of Internal Medicine reports, they demonstrate little effect on pain overall and are associated with significant adverse effects. The study reports that cannabinoid products are potentially (laughs) an alternative derived from multiple sources, including synthetic extract or the whole plant, The term cannabinoid refers to compounds that are active in cannabis, such as THC or CBD. Previous studies have proven that these compounds contain pain relief properties that vary depending on the ratio of THC to CBD. Researchers from Oregon Health and Science University reviewed 18 randomised placebo-controlled trials trials comprising 1,740 participants and seven cohort studies comprising 13,095 participants to evaluate how cannabinoids are performed on those suffering from chronic pain. Cannabinoids, geez, they're getting into using that word. Just annoying. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Were associated with a moderate improvement in pain severity and response, but were also associated with increased risk for sedation and dizziness. They discovered that synthetic products with high THC to CBD ratios could produce the severity of chronic could reduce the severity of chronic pain, but risked increasing sedation and dizziness in the patient. Researchers also found that small improvements in overall functioning were demonstrated for products with comparable THC to CBD ratios, but no improvements were demonstrated for products with high THC to CBD ratios. So I guess there's some possibility of... But it might be useful. It might help. My feeling about it, Geoffrey, was that even if... uh, I don't think that the use of cannabinoids or that that ones with high THC anyway, might at least initially increase, particularly for cancer, people on cancer, yeah. uh, chemotherapy. Increased appetite. Increase the appetite. Yeah. And that was one of the reasons that I suggested it for one of our friends who had an uh, end-stage uh, cancer. Did it help? Suffered well. The message was never given to him as far as I know. Oh. Um, I, I was asked by um, his partner, um, what my, well, actually, I was asked by him what he could use, because he wasn't a drug user, yeah. what he could use, um, and I said that I thought that perhaps can, that um, marijuana might be a good thing because it yeah. would enhance his appetite. Some um, and then he tried to get some, and he, no. it was blocked. I think his yeah. partner blocked him from oh, having it. That's a shame. Because no matter how she felt theoretically about the war on drugs, in a she practical sense, couldn't. she didn't want, she could not accept the idea of him taking Something illicit that, yeah. drugs. Yeah. And now they're legally available, of course, yeah. but at that stage, they weren't. He, was in, uh, he had no appetite and died badly. So All it was right. very sad. Thank you, Marion. Oh, the Jeffrey, it's so lovely to have you back. Thank you. And we'll go out. Take and we'll care, see everyone. you next week. Bye bye, everyone. Stay well. Yep. COVID's still here. Indeed.